Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We're a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, the facility we're building designed for the energizing and growth of men, or would like to financially partner with us in our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. It's taken me 33 years to create a company that others would consider valuable. The road has been difficult, though. You know, people look from the outside in and say, oh, it's so blessed. You're so all this. It's so great. And I'm like, you have no idea. You have no idea how hard this road has been. I've had to fire my own family members and friends. Three times we lost huge pieces of business in the associated income. We've been at the brink of running out of money several times, not knowing where I was going to come up with payroll for employees. We've had employees walk off the job, leave plants shut down. We've had a sales guy start an insurrection. We've had people, we've been fined by OSHA and IDEM numerous times for violations. We've had three people die at our plants. We've had internal fighting where arguments were heated and people broke out in fisticuffs. We've suffered through three fires, including one that was so large a fireman actually died. I think you get the point, don't you? I can relate so deeply with this bloody road that took David to his kingship. From a distance, people look and they say, oh, he was a king, what a blessed life. And he had a heart that was after God's. And the the Christian world sort of hails David as a hero. But man, you guys have seen the underbelly of this story, haven't you? The real story is that this guy was filled with the pain of fighting for his calling. And he's lost a lot more than he's won, hasn't he? It's been hard, and I know that feeling well. So what does the road to success actually look like for you? Tonight, we will see the incredibly bloody road of David finally reach the throne of Israel. He finds the place for which God has anointed him. My prayer tonight for you is that you'll see how God is using you for many good works that he started in you, just as he did in David. And that path to those works coming to completion, they're going to be littered with failures and frustrations. You're going to come face to face with the holes in your character and in your faith. But God will prevail because he started the good work in you. You didn't. Tonight, there's six chapters. I broke it into three pieces. First is Saul's reign coming to an end. Second, David becoming king. And third, Jerusalem becomes God's home. Let's open with a word of prayer to get our minds just right here with God. Heavenly Father, Jesus, turn off our phones. Turn off everything that's distracting us, Father. Let us give you the best 20 minutes of our mind right now. Lord, help wake us up. Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, most of all, don't let my words or my actions take away from what you're having to say. Lord, bless these men with your words, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. In these first chapters of 2 Samuel, we see Saul, his sons, and his general die. And some of these men die in battle against the Amalekites, who, by the way, they were supposed to have killed earlier because God had told them to do so. And we see some of these men murdered. Abner, Saul's general, formed an alliance with David, to reunite Judah and Israel under David, which was critical to his kingship. Here's a few key lessons from that piece. First, Saul's son, Ish-bosheth, was not appointed king by God, but by a powerful, hungry man named Abner. 
Ishbosheth was set up to fail because he had no idea where he belonged and willingly stepped into a position of authority, no doubt drawn to the power and the inherent money that was in that position. Many of us desire those kinds of positions. We look for recognition and money, and we willingly step into roles God did not choose for us. And in those roles, we often find ourselves miserable, failing to achieve results, having no passion for the work. And the result of being out of position can be a loss of confidence, emotional trauma for us, our family, and our friends, and sometimes serious economic failures. Being in a position you picked instead of one God has chosen can be a serious mistake. What position are you in right now that you know is wrong? I mean, there are a lot of sharp guys in this room, and I've met a lot of you guys, and there are a lot. And they're willing to help you sort out those decisions. Where are my career going? What am I doing in my volunteer positions? All I would say is reach out and ask for help. There's a lot of guys willing to help you. The second thing we see is David executing every man who unjustly murdered his enemies. He modeled justice, diplomacy, and unity. David knew murder was wrong, and he clearly knew the difference between battle and murder. He would not tolerate murder. He knew swift justice would help bring peace and unity to a divided Israel. He needed to use his position to bring peace to Israel. Guys, we too must look at what causes division in our families. As men of God, we're called to use our power and authority not for personal gain, but to bring about peace in our homes. So our families, neighbors, and communities will have a desire to know and follow Jesus. Peace leads people to Jesus. We often struggle, though, as men to manage our own emotions, making us the actual source of most of the division in our families. We must get help to learn to control our emotions so we can bring peace into our homes. Just this week, I had a brother help me see how I treated one of the black guys in this class in a way that was wrong and could have created division between him and I. I asked a guy to help in a very public setting, and I embarrassed him. And I didn't think anything of it until another guy told me that that's what I did and how I made him feel. He said much of his life, white men with power would make demands of him, expecting him to do what he was told. And when I heard that explanation, it really hurt me deeply. I was so embarrassed and so sad that I wasn't sensitive to that. And I realized I've been doing that my whole life. I've been in a position of power for a long time, and I use it at work, and I use it at home, and I use it with other men in my life, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. I called that guy and apologized immediately. He graciously forgave me, which he didn't have to do, but he did because he's a brother in Christ, and I'll tell you, it meant a lot to me. Guys, having another man help me see this blind spot was critical in me becoming a better leader. You have to decide if you're going to use your power to dominate and control or to bring peace and unity. Jesus calls us to bridle that male power in us so that we can be guys that bring peace. Where do you need help in bringing peace to your family? The third thing we see, David mourns the loss of the leaders of Israel David was deeply saddened that his friend Jonathan died, and he was smart to honor Saul in this public mourning, knowing it would bring peace to those who loved Saul. David modeled how to grieve, and as men, we must learn to grieve, and guys, this is true. It really is true. When I was first asked about how I grieve, a, a good leader asked me, he said, Bill, do you grieve alone or with others? And I said, oh, of course I grieve alone, and I was proud of it. He said, we'll work on that. David showed us it can be public. 
that we can cry, that we can rehearse our memories with others, and we can write down our thoughts. Three years ago, we lost a leader in a CEO group to which I belong. He was only 57 years old, and at the time I was 55. It hurt me deeply. At his funeral, we found a private room at the church after the service, and we spent two hours grieving. There were six of us, and we followed a simple five-step process to help us. We placed a picture of Mike on the table, and each guy took his turn, one at a time, talking to Mike. And what each guy was required to do was to share our first memory of Mike, our fondest memory of Mike, what we most admired about his traits, and one thing we were still really angry at him about, and then we were to say goodbye. And I can tell you guys, as we went around and did that, I just cried and cried for two hours, couldn't stop. But I'll tell you the one that hurt the most is when I had to tell Mike why I was mad at him. And I was so mad at him. And you know why I was mad? Because Mike would never come to the group and talk about what he needed help with. He only wanted to help everybody else, but when he needed help, he'd never share. And I was so pissed at him for being like that. Man, did that hurt. But you guys, that brought me such incredible peace at the end of that time. And I'm going to tell you, just remember that process. Remember that. Who have you lost through death, divorce, abandonment, or dispute? How will you mourn the loss of that person this week? And what I describe to you to do, you can do alone. You can do it alone. It's better, though. I'll guarantee you this. And that guy said, Bill, do you grieve alone? And I said, yes. I guarantee you it was way better for me to grieve with those men than it was alone. It was way different, you guys. That's all I can tell you. And it helped me heal way better than being alone. In the next chapter, we see how David was anointed king of Israel. David first prays to God who directs him to move to Hebron. Hebron had a good water source and storage well. And guys, if you've ever been to Israel, I'm going to talk about this twice in two cities. Water matters in Israel. Water matters. So if you want to follow good leadership in Israel's stories, watch the water we learned this when we were there. Hebron had a great water storage, and there's pictures of that well, that, that storage area in Hebron. There's pictures of what that area still looks like. It was amazing. It's a well-built city. It was a great capital for Judah because it had walls, and it was established. And the men of Judah anointed David there. And after Saul and all his key people were dead, and after seven years, the leaders from Israel traveled to Hebron to anoint David as king over Israel and Judah. And in 1 Chronicles 12, we learn that 340,000 soldiers of Israel came to that event to show their allegiance to David. Now that was an incredible show of support, man. Can you imagine that? Like you thought all these guys were against you and 340,000 guys pulled up in their armor and said, we're for you, David. And that had to make David feel like, wow. There's a few key lessons in this story. First, David prayed when it was time to leave Ziglag. And he asked God where to live. And unlike a lot of us, he told him where to go, right? He doesn't always answer. He almost never does, right? We're always like, God, where do I go? And he's like, I ain't telling you. So, but God did direct him, and he directed him to Hebron. You know, where we live has a very significant impact on who we choose for friends, where we go to church, the neighbors we meet, and the work we choose. And God knows all those together will have a dramatic impact on your life. 
I moved to Indy seven years ago, and I did that because God had given me very clear direction, as clear as I could ever imagine when I was explaining the parable of the talents to a group of people and talking about those. It was crystal clear to me that I needed to build a plant in Mooresville, Indiana when I got done with that discussion. I mean, as clear as it would be, and I followed through on that. I built that plant, and that plant ended up leading me to Indianapolis. Subsequently here, my sons have met their wives here. My wife has been able to care for her, her brother and her uncle here. Heart of a Man was started here because I met Dr. John Townsend here, and he changed my life, and I met a group of guys here that are that CE group I was talking about. I can go on for hours, you guys, on why God led me here, but I know he led me to live here. Simple question for you is this. What decision needs God's input in your life right now? And as we discussed in our group today, will you pray about it and ask him? Another key concept is that David is placed as king just as God had planned when Samuel anointed him some 15 to, 10 to 15 years earlier. David had to wait and endure years of suffering for this calling by God to be fulfilled. God must have decided David needed to suffer and struggle to prepare David for this role as warrior king. Can you imagine that amount of time? How would you know that he would actually become king? You'd be thinking, am I actually going to be king? In fact, some old guy anointed me. Maybe that guy was just a kook. God led David to fight. I mean, you would think that, wouldn't you? You'd be like, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe that dude was just whacked. God led David to fight dozens of battles, a giant, and overcome tremendous threats by Saul and his followers. And through that, he suffered emotional trauma, immense trauma, incredible pressure to survive, many hours of time alone with very few people who could understand his situation, fear he'd be killed at any moment, uncertainty as to when he would be king, Severe doubt about what he was supposed to be doing with his life during that time while he's running all over Judea trying to hide. Anger towards people who were treating him and his men poorly. Alienation from his family living in a Philistine town. And forced to make incredibly difficult decisions on what to do with these men who murdering each other every time he turned around. You can imagine this is what his life was for 15 years. This is incredible trauma. David had to wait and work through all of that before God made him king. Most of us have quit, have quit the first week, you guys, honestly. God very often makes us wait and work through challenges. And during those times, it is unclear, and it's very hard to understand why. Your mind can't make heads or tails of it. It's emotionally draining, and we often derail. Guys, we are at times asked to wait and endure countless hours of seemingly disconnected hardships in order to follow Jesus and many of us give up or simply give in to the culture pressure long before the work God has called us to do comes to completion. We've got to resist the temptation to race ahead of God and force our own plans to get what we want. Waiting on God produces amazing results. My good friend Cullen has been praying with his wife for years for children. And they've not been able to get pregnant or adopt. Every single thing they did, the door got slammed in their face. And all of a sudden this year, his wife gets pregnant days after their adoption was finalized. Yeah. Guys, in two months, they're going to have two children, not zero, two. Isn't that how God works? 
And it was painful. I'm telling you guys, it was painful. We cried in our, in our living room. We hugged and we cried month after month, month after month as we wept. And Derek's having beautiful little girls and everybody's having kids and Kyle's having babies and Cullen's just weeping and like, what is going on, God? It was so hard. But in the end, it was impossible to speed up God's plan. Couldn't do it. They just simply had to wait. God truly does bless men who wait for him to work. I'm telling you guys, he does. How are you handling this time of waiting? We'll close tonight by looking at how David makes Jerusalem the capital of Israel and how he brings the ark to Jerusalem to restore God's centrality to his people. First, let's talk about Jerusalem. After he was made king of both Judah and Israel, David knew he needed a new capital that be a neutral city for both Israel and Judah. He knew Jerusalem had a very good water supply from numerous underground springs, something very unique. He knew Jerusalem was on an easy-to-defend mountaintop with walls already built. He knew it was a crossroad for commerce, so supplies and trade would be well-established. So David attacked and conquered the city. And this is a historical fact that's well-documented that occurred about 1004 B.C. So if you're a chronology guy, this is a good one to write down in your Bible somewhere. This happened about 1000 B.C. So you can start putting dates against what happens from here on forward. Really good marker, this one. David identifies this mountain as Zion. It's David that does that, you guys. And all of the rest of the Bible talks about Zion. David says, that's Zion. That mountain is Zion. And the town of Jerusalem then becomes the town of David, the city of David. Mount Zion and Jerusalem are now coupled together forever. The biblical writers from this point on will always describe the two together. More importantly, these will be referred to by prophets as the city and mountain on which the Messiah will return, and it will be the home of God where he lives with his people forever. David establishes Jerusalem and Zion as gods, and David began that process to making Jerusalem the center of worship for 400 years when he brought the ark into Jerusalem. This was and is the most holy mountain in the world, and if you haven't been there, you need to go. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac on this mountain out of obedience to God. And while Abraham did not have to follow through, God did sacrifice his son Jesus on that mountain. Muslims, Jews, and Christians to this day all worship on Mount Zion. Nowhere else in the world does this happen. There's a vast amount to discuss here, guys, but I only have time for a few thoughts. First, the king of Tyre had a significant role in reminding David of his calling when he built a palace in Jerusalem for him. This affirmation of David's kingship was critical to his ability to continue to fulfill his calling. And we're going to see this calling does not get any easier. Affirmation of a man who is serving God can be vital in helping him achieve his God-given purpose. Guys, listen to this. We have an incredible opportunity as we live and work in the body of Christ when we see a man doing the work for which he is called, we can validate that calling by simply telling him that we see it. You never know when a guy is about to quit because he's so stinking discouraged. Guys, I'm telling you, this has happened to me so many times. I have been so discouraged in this work. And every time God catches me right at the lowest point, and you know how he almost always does it? He brings some guy to say, 
Bill, you're doing a great job, man. Thank you. And it's just like, what? And it just blows you full of wind. It doesn't blow your ego up. Trust me, you're so deflated at this point. You're not, you're not anywhere close to having an ego trip. You're surviving by your fingernails. And when one guy just says, man, you're doing a great job and you are in that place, it's like water to you. It's like water, guys. I'm telling you, God always seems to do that. So which man do you see serving God in the right position that you can affirm this week? Look for that. Open your eyes and speak up. We can also help men in whom we see incredible untapped potential. Some men are feeling lost or just unclear on how to serve. Or some guys are frankly avoiding the work because life here in Carmel is pretty stinking good. Your encouragement may be exactly what a guy needs to get engaged. Guys, I would ask that if another man challenges you to use your abilities for God, not to get mad or get defensive. God may have sent him to help you fulfill the calling he has for your life. You may just need a little shove off that cliff. Who do you see that is sitting on the sideline that you can encourage to get involved right now? Don't be afraid to give him a little nudge. Second, when David made his first attempt to bring the ark into Jerusalem, he watched God strike one of his men dead when they moved the ark incorrectly. 30,000 people watched this event, and it frightened them so much they scattered and left. This probably felt like a huge spiritual failure to David. Can you imagine that? All of these people, he's carrying the ark, a guy gets struck dead, and everybody's scared to death and runs. And he's like, this is supposed to be the pinnacle of my spiritual high of showing the people my spiritual leadership, and that's how it ends? This had to be brutal on David. The ark was supposed to be carried with poles on the shoulders of the Levites, not in a cart. The Philistines used a cart. The pagans did, not God's people. The Torah made this clear. Uzzah died because he didn't follow a clear plan God had put in the Torah, and Dave didn't enforce it. But months later, David read the law and was able to successfully move the ark into Jerusalem. Guys, God calls us to live by his laws, to do his work his way. The Ten Commandments didn't get abolished when Jesus came. They're still in play. When we choose to ignore those laws, people can get hurt and people die. And most of us never really understand what that looks like because we don't hold ourselves against that standard. We just justify our behavior because we think we live in the wake of God's grace. Many of us simply don't spend enough time in the Bible to really know how badly out of alignment we are with God. A sinful lifestyle hurts you and the people around you. How do you keep yourself aware of God's laws and make sure you live inside those good boundary lines? The next thing we learn is that David celebrated the ark coming into Jerusalem. His wife, Michal, despised his free-spirited dance style in his underwear. I've seen my kids dance in their underwear. I think they've seen me too. And my wife doesn't like it either, so. David rebuked her for her attitude. He wrote 74 psalms. Most of those songs are things that praised God. David loved to worship God through music and dance. It was in his soul. And guys, worship is a critical part of a healthy spiritual life with God. That worship is supposed to be directed to God, not to man. Many of us not only hide our worship of Jesus, we hide Jesus himself to avoid humiliation or embarrassment in an American culture that hates Jesus. 
Jesus said, if a man denies me in front of other men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. How do you hide your affection for Jesus for fear of disapproval? Better yet, how can you display your affection for Jesus for those around you to see? Isaiah, over 300 years after David was king, spoke these words. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way. Wicked fools will not go about on it, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. Hear this. And they will enter Zion with singing. And I can't sing. And he says, I will. It's going to be good, you guys. Much like David, we will sing one day at the Mount Zion when Jesus returns. We will be at that mountain, you guys. The scripture says we'll be at that mountain when he returns, and we will be singing. And my guess is dancing in our underwear is not going to be a problem. 700 years after Isaiah, the apostle John wrote these words. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Isn't this just beautiful? The Old Testament and the New the men before Jesus and the men after Jesus. And they're all on the walls. Oh, it's beautiful. David was used to establish this city of God. Jerusalem and Mount Zion are sacred to God. David loved God deeply and wanted to do the job that he was assigned. Samuel wrote in chapter 2, David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David had been anointed for this work, And when he saw Goliath and heard him defame the army of the living God, David knew the road was going to be a bloody, long fight. The road to becoming king, making Jerusalem the capital, and bringing God back to the center of daily life of Israel was brutally difficult for David, but he stayed the course. I started with the story of how difficult it was to build our company, and I'm telling you, it was stinking hard. As hard as it was, and despite my numerous mistakes, God used that company to help build his kingdom. Thousands of people have come to know Jesus through those plants. Several were married in those places. They've heard the gospel through chaplains, prayer, Bible studies, and countless devotions. Many ex-prisoners have been given second chances. Addicts have been healed, and many families have been restored. Thousands of people in Uganda, Kenya, and Ethiopia heard the name of Jesus in farms growing ancient grains for our company. Dozens of executives in Fortune 500 food companies were introduced to Jesus in our meeting rooms when they came to produce products in our plants. Jesus was glorified in a place that was daggone difficult to find success. 33 years for me of broken heartache, but Jesus prevailed. The apostle prayed these words, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership with me in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that when 
when he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, for, until the day of Christ Jesus. Guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, he began a good work in you long before you decided to follow him. He stirred up in you a desire and to do more than just be comfortable in your life. He's asking you to let him complete that good work in you. I know you, have, you run into serious problems, and especially the ones that come from your own broken character. I get it. But Jesus knows who he hired. He knows the handicaps you came with. He knows where you're going to fail. And he had Samuel write this story of David so you can see what David accomplished by clinging to his love for God and not being overcome by the brutal hatred of men and his own failures and fears. This shepherd boy ignored his family was the pathway to Jesus for you and for me. And you have been called to be the pathway to Jesus for someone else. You cannot give up. You cannot get distracted by the good life. You cannot quit because you constantly fail. You cannot stop because people have died or you have been hurt. There are people who will be saved because you did not quit. Guys, let us help each other complete the good work that Jesus started in us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good work you started in us. And thank you for the persistence of David and his ability to push through some of the most painful stuff I've ever read. Lord, help us be men of courage and fortitude and faith like David. And help us do the good work you've called us to do and be persistent and wait and move ahead. Give us that courage and strength, Lord. Give us that tenacity. Fill us with the Spirit, Lord. Help us go out tomorrow with power and fortitude, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Guys, have a great week, all right? Love you guys. Take care.